Welcome to this episode of The Aftermath, show where Daniel and I sit down and talk about service, sermon, topics, and the like, anything that's come up during the week. Yeah. What are you thinking today, Daniel? Not thinking much. Had to go to the DMV, or the, sorry, they call it the BM, BMV here. Yeah. I didn't know that it was different from state to state. Um, so yeah, um, I'm still saved after going to the BMV. So uh, that's, that's good. <laughs> Praise yeah. God. So this weekend, we kind of, we talked about First John, and we have talked about the concept or idea of love a couple times yeah. recently. So it's a, it's a theme that keeps coming up, but that's kind of how the gospel works, right? I mean, <laughs> the theme of love is kind of a big piece. So yeah. we kind of approached it a little bit differently. Are you got any thoughts or? No, well, like, I love how it's going to tie into James. Like, it's, it's uh, difficult to, to do uh, one without the other when we talk about uh, love and, and our faith in God and what, uh, the love portion means to uh, not only like our eternal salvation, but to our faith in general. And then uh, James is obviously the taking on the faith uh, with or without works, you know, kind of aspect. So this week you kind of hit on some things that'll lead us right into next week, which I, I really enjoyed. I think it's remarkable how much they overlap. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk in, about James in depth next week, but you know, John, as we were in terms of his letter, just like in the gospel, the letter of First John has a purpose statement at the end of it. And he says, I've, I've written all these things to those of you who believe so that you can be assured of eternal life. And so the gospel is written so that you may read those things and believe. And this is kind of like the follow-up. Okay, now that you believed, everyone who does believe, here's how you know that you can in fact have eternal life. And it's all about your actions, Yeah. right? So uh, there's a necessary correlation between how you behave and how you carry yourself in the world and how you treat other people and your actual salvation. Yeah. And I, that's uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially in a Protestant tradition in which Protestants kicked off of the Catholic church because there was too much sort of amorphous church authority, not enough scripture authority. You know, one of the solas is sola fida by faith alone. So there's this hyper sensitivity within the Protestant tradition typically that you're saved by faith. And so when we start talking about loving action being the thing that matters, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but in conversations and interactions, especially online, like I've gotten a lot, especially the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this thing in sort of social network environments. I've, I've gotten a lot of kickback. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure you have. And like the other thing is too, it rubs up against the other side. Like, so like for me coming out of the, you know, American holiness movement, you know, where it's uh, those, those type of, uh, churches that like you can't there's like the list of things that you can't do you know and and uh i think people hear like oh no your your works matter and they're like oh no 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 you're you're, you're a holiness person you that 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 theology is bunk and all that but like this is there there are there are times where our actions do matter in relation to other people and to god like they extremely matter um and how we treat people is important and and how we love god is important You've referenced this in a couple of different podcasts. What define the holiness tradition and how we're talking about that and how that's similar yeah. or different than what we're talking about today? It's more important for you to follow these rules that they've outlined or highlighted than to love your neighbor. Um, loving your neighbor kind of takes a backseat to, well, if, if you drink alcohol, you're out. Or if you watch television in some, you know, in some churches, then you're out, you know. And it's, and it's more about... It's more about maybe what you don't do than what you actually do. Gotcha. I think that's probably the biggest uh, difference. That's definitely a personal piety yeah. 
foundation. And I think what the biblical expression is or, or picture is, uh, is very much what you were saying earlier that your works, your loving attitude towards other people, the things that you do, the way that you approach other people is motivated and a result of your faith. And so faith is the foundational piece. And so to that extent, the reformers had it right, that it's the faith, the belief, the acceptance of Jesus as your savior that, that is the salvific work. However, what they will immediately say is that faith is not authentic unless it produces a loving character. Yeah. So unless you are being transformed into the identity of Christ, and that's a process, of course. Yeah. If, unless you are demonstrating that you are moving towards Jesus and becoming more like that, then, then there's, no, there's no basis upon which to say your faith is actually true, right? Yeah. That if you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and yes, I'm a Christian, and you accept that, but you go on treating other people as means to ends, that you, you don't have any sort of self-sacrificial attitude, loving attitude, if you don't treat other people as brothers and sisters, well, then that faith is not an authentic, true faith. Um, and so those things are intertwined. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people kind of repel at the idea that works matter, but works are the tell. They're the, the key to know that the faith is true. Yeah. And, and that's John's point is that you can know that you are assured salvation because you love each other. It's because your faith has produced this that you can be sure that your faith is true. People here, you know your faith is good because you act in a certain way and they misunderstand that to be saying those loving actions are the things that save you, which is not what these writers are saying, which is not the whole New Testament witness has to say, but rather it's the, the faith that saves. You know, Paul makes that point obviously clear a number of places, but that true faith necessarily produces loving action. Yeah, that's a, that's a nuanced conversation, you know, like... Uh, it doesn't uh, make for, you know, great Instagram clips or, or, you know, newspaper articles, you know, or something like that. But it is like the, the seed of faith in your life will produce those type of right actions. And yeah. I think asking for anything more is putting those, you know, heavy burdens back on people. You know, I think uh, a lot in the, the seeker-friendly movement, like, you know, we've kind of, they've kind of thrown everything away. <laughs> Right. You know, as far as your the importance of your works, but it was a reaction, and just like that pendulum that swings, uh, that reaction of the of the seeker movement, you know, has or the seeker friendly movement has kind of been a reaction to what the holiness holiness movement's going on. But there's nuance in the middle, and that's I think important to get at, like that that uh, kind of distilled and boiled down. Well, no, this is what actually right. It means to to have faith means that your actions will change as a result of your faith. I think there's something sort of a principle at work here that I have found the more and more I study and the more and more I learn to be kind of the way that the kingdom seems to work as it sort of interfaces with the theology that we try to put together. So often we put these two concepts or ideas, whatever they may be, out and, and we pit them against each other. And yeah. we have these debates and we get in, into arguments and one person takes up one side, somebody else takes up the other side and they argue against each other. And we create these either or situations. And it's been helpful for me to step back in, in scenarios like that and say, okay, well, how could this be both and as opposed to either or? Right. Because I think a lot of situations, it, it ends up being that. It's it, Both are true. Yeah. And they work together in some third way. 
sometimes it's a compromise and sometimes it's a completely different way, third way that's kind of off that spectrum altogether. We, I think we've talked about that before. Yeah. I'm going to sidestep just a little bit and go back a couple of weeks. We talked about how we become loving people because I think anybody can will themselves into being loving for a while. Yeah. But to to have that as your fundamental core sort of identity to act out of that place for any extended period of time, the human will fails pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, our, our baser desires kind of come in and our desire to be right or to be popular or to be seen positively or whatever it is kind of like overshadows that compulsion to, to love other people. The more social media becomes the way that we're communicating, especially right now, because that's the only way we can communicate in a yeah. lot of ways. That's laid bare, I think, more than usual. Again, going back a couple of weeks, we talked about the way that we get to a place of loving other people is ultimately to rest in an experience of God. It is drawing on his love for us and recognizing that that love needs to be extended. And so in some ways, his love for us becomes our love for other people. Yeah. Uh, this week, I talked a little bit about kind of becoming a conduit for God's love that as you love other people in response to God's love for you, that love kind of flows through you to the world. You're granted this world, you know, this love for other people. Um, and, there, and there is an experience, I think, of sort of being compelled to love other people when you really don't feel like it, right? So yeah. you almost feel like that love has been given to you. You know, you're tired. You don't want to get up and do something for somebody else, or um, but you feel drawn and pulled and tugged, and and you end up doing that. And then in the process of loving on other people and kind of extending God's love to other people, you realize you're having an experience yourself of God's love. Yeah, and I think that's fundamental and really important. And as I'm watching people have conversations in particularly online environments, you can tell the people that have had that sort of experience because those guards are kind of dropped and sort of social norms kind of go out the door when you're in an online format because you're not face-to-face -face to people. It's easier to not identify them as a person yeah. and be a little more angry and, and less civil. Um, I think so many people just have a mental belief. It's a cognitive, rational belief that when these interactions are sort of distilled down to words, it's easy to have a philosophical or theological system attacked and feel defensive over that. Right. And if that's all you have, like, you know, if, if you're somebody who's been brought up in the church, you've been given your faith, you've been given an apologetic system to defend your faith by, and somebody else comes in and says something that counters that, well, that's an attack at the core of your faith. But you can also tell the people who have had an actual experience of God because all of a sudden the apologetics and the theology and the philosophy and the reason and rationale are no longer the basis of the faith, right? And so we can hold that with a lot more humility and you can be nicer. Right. If somebody disagrees with your theology, well, that's not an attack at your faith. Like you're grounded in an experience with God, a rational attack because somebody doesn't believe, you know, the unmoved mover or the first cause or some philosophical argument for God. Well, that, that doesn't change the fact that you know who God is. Yeah. And you, I th you talked about a couple months ago, like uh, the, when we have questions for God, you know, we, we, we question stuff like sometimes those questions get answered and sometimes the experience of God just deletes the question. Like, yeah, uh, what was I even, right. even thinking? So like the people that have had that experience, like are probably less apt to quibble over theological di differences and more apt to like have an actual conversation, right? you know, because right. they're... Um, I can't remember the story. We were was his, it was Thomas. Was, it was it was yeah, Thomas, oh yeah, it was right? Thomas. Because he was, you know, he was saying that he needed to touch, he needed to see, he needed to 
Well, he, what he's saying is I need to touch those scars of Jesus myself. And then when Jesus shows up, the story doesn't tell us that he touched him, right? right. Jesus shows up, becomes present to him, makes himself known to him. And all of a sudden the requirements that Thomas had in order to believe fall away. And the presence of Jesus just overshadows them, consumes them. Yeah. And you're right. I think if you've had that experience, problems in your theology are things we need to talk about certainly and, and, and struggle with, but it doesn't undo your belief. It doesn't, right. it's not going to shake or rock your world because there's a philosophical or, or rational problem in one of the arguments. It's okay. God is still God. And, and if you know God, well, it's just a matter of finding the answer. There's a lot of people that I think have built a theology that if you tug at one of those small things, their theology crumbles and their faith does crumble. Yeah. And it's why it's important to actually talk about the way we think about God and why we, why we do um, kind of embrace like, you know, theology and philosophy and all these different things. Like, because if, if, you, if you're embracing a theology that like only takes one piece to be pulled away, like that's not very strong. You yeah. know, and if you're embracing a theology that doesn't um, take your faith, it's also trouble. I've seen a number of conversations happening recently. I've been part of a couple that are talking about the, the importance of having that experience of Christ and of God um, and seeking that for yourself. Just recently, there was a comment that basically said that, you know, you can reason your way to God that reason and divine revelation aren't mutually exclusive. Well, no, but the history of philosophy tells us that reason fails. You know, that, this is a tough pill to swallow for Christians, right? But it's true, at least it's borne out in the history of philosophy is you can't actually reason your way to God. That was the entire enlightenment, modern philosophical project, right? So Descartes says, starts questioning the things that he can certainly believe and he gets down to this, I think therefore I am statement and he thinks he's got it. And then he debil- develops a philosophical system that kind of builds his way up to uh, a rational evidence for God and for his own existence and the world around him. And then the next philosopher comes by and says, oh, wait, no, 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 your, fun, your foundational presupposition here doesn't hold. And so the whole thing comes crumbling down. And then the next guy builds one up and that, that, that pattern happens over and over again. Right. right? And it ultimately gets to the point where we realize we can't actually prove by reason that God exists. In fact, we can't rationally prove that we exist, right? You can't reason your way into your own existence. It, it just doesn't work. And that's why it fell apart. That's why postmodernism came about for hundreds and hundreds of years. Thousands of philosophers that are way smarter than a lot of us right. have been working on this project and it doesn't happen. It, it's not, it just doesn't, it's not possible. And we can develop, you know, the whole project of apologetics has been sort of that giving rational reasons, proofs for God. And I think we need to be a little more humble and approach those things with a little more humility. We can give good reasons for God, perhaps. We can give a rational argument for God, but it is not a rational or logical proof for God. Right. Well, faith faith isn't rational at all. It's, right, right. It's, and, and it's faith. <laughs> right. But yeah, that's an, but that's the point, right? Right. We got to let go of this reason project that says we're going to give a logical proof for God's existence. Yeah, I'm with um, you on that. And to the extent that we have, and this is kind of another way of saying the same thing that we've been saying, like if you're relying on reason, if your faith is based on reason and rational proof, what happens when you come to the realization that, oh, there's a flaw in my premise. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up. And if that's, if that's the foundation of your faith, it's gonna come tumbling, sooner or later, it's gonna come tumbling down around you. Yeah, and the, the writer of Psalms tells us pretty, like 
lean not on your own understanding, like, because he knows that this is not something that's meant to be reasoned out and, play, yeah. and played out right. uh, in that manner. It's not, it's not something that you can you know, look at the scientific evidence of yeah. this. I'm so confused by how much money, time, and energy we've put into <laughs> the, the science of God and we've kind of taken out of the mission, uh, the Great Commission, the, even the, the hope of our eternal salvation here in, in you know, ha- believing and having faith uh, in Jesus Christ, and then letting that faith do the outworking of love. Like we've just abandoned that yeah. altogether to prove that, uh, you know, we did not descend from monkeys. Yeah. Like, what are we doing, guys? The Enlightenment did us a huge disservice when it said it all comes down to reason and said we're, we're rational beings, right? And, and since that point, I, I think in recent years, particularly over the last century, like we're trying to recover some of what that damaged in some way, right? There's more than one way to know things, right? right? There's more, more than one type of knowledge. And the enlightenment made all about reason and logic. There are other ways to know. That's not the only way to come to knowledge in this world. Right. And that was, had been true for millennia prior to the enlightenment. But for some reason during that period, we just threw everything else out and said, we got to, it all comes down to reason, logic, and observation. Everything else doesn't count. And it's just simply not true. And to the like to the Christians that are taking that route, like you've severely limited God to your reason, your logic, and your observation. He's beyond all three of those things. What other thoughts have you had coming out of either Sunday discussion or things you've been seeing online? We've obviously gotten pretty active on some social media platforms and yeah. being part of conversations there. So, yeah, I just thought like uh, your message was very like kind of take this one in let it do its work, you know? Cause like, like there's some messages you're like, okay, I understand this, I have it, check. And this one was like, uh, oh, am I, am I doing this? Is this uh, something that's creating change in me? And like kind of a call to repentance for, for me in some ways, like, oh, I've missed the boat on the biggest, biggest things and great week of refocusing and, and that kind of thing. One thing we revisited this week was the difference between the Hebraic and Greek oh, yeah. Roman way of learning. Yeah, please talk about that. We have largely inherited the latter, the sort of the Greek way of learning things. And again, that's a, a very rational way of going about life is that we sit in classrooms or in some cases, you know, in the church case, a, a sanctuary or a church and you hear someone talk, whether it's a teacher, so a, a pastor or a classroom teacher or a philosopher, you know, in, in the Greco-Roman world as philosophers, we talk you through principles and teach things. And we assume that by teaching principles and arguments that hopefully you agree to, that that is gonna compel you to change your life. It's gonna compel action in the world. The Hebraic understanding works the other way around. And they understood that it is by getting off your butt and going into the world and doing that you learn the principles. Right. Right. So the Greek way says, we're going to teach you the principles and that's going to compel action. The Hebrew way says, no, 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 we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to do things and you're going to learn the principles in the midst of that. And I think particularly when we're talking about being loving and knowing God, you're not going to sit around in a classroom and learn a bunch of theology and have that transform you into a new person. Yeah. It's not until you get up and you go do the work of being the hands and feet of loving your neighbor, of feeding the poor, of fighting for justice in the world, that you really are going to learn and experience God. It kind of crosses over into like, uh, like you take a, like a musical instrument like piano. I can learn piano theory. I can ace tests. I can tell you what 
every single note is and be able to read music perfectly. But until I sit down at a piano and start to work those things out, like I don't have muscle memory, I don't have feel, I don't have rhythm, I don't have coordination between both of my hands. Those things can only be learned through action. And our faith is very much that way. And like when I had kids, like I had a whole new experience of God's love because I just, when you start to love on your kids, you're like, okay, this is this is part of what God does for me. Like, yeah. he loves like this. Right. One of my favorite things to do is give a kid a gift when <laughs> they've been terribly bad. <laughs> and I love, I'm going to give you this gift. You, you've not been good today, but that doesn't, that doesn't change my love for you. It doesn't change that I had already planned for you to have this thing. Yeah. So you can have, like, that wrecked me. Well, like, one day I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is, this is what God's done for me. He's given yeah. me you know, these gifts, regardless of my actions. You can only learn that stuff through consciously loving on someone else, you know. It is in doing the thing that you internalize and really, you really know it. Right. Like using your, your musical example, music is math, right? It boils down to math. And you can sit down and like you said, you can know the theory and you can write it all out and you can know it intellectually, but it's not until you pick up the instrument and start playing it that it actually becomes part of you. And there's a certain point at which you master the music. You don't have to think about it, right? right. You know you're in this a particular key. You know you're not sitting there doing math in your head to figure out which chord goes with which when you're in G. Right. right. You, just, you just know. Yeah. Because it's it's part of who you are now. You you sort of feel it in a real way, and then that's true knowing, and that's knowing in a way that a classroom, a theory book will never get you there. It's that sort of thing that we're talking about here. It's, it's actually loving your, your sons and daughters in that way in which you can talk theologically about God's love like you just did, but it's not until you participate in the loving action that you know it. Oh, yeah. And I guess that's, that's the whole point is that it's not until you get out there and start loving people that you come to a true knowledge of God's love for you. You can talk about it. You can quote scripture. You can build a theological system. You can make sense of it, but you can't know it, right? Not in a true internal identity way, right? Yeah. Where it really becomes part of you. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had me tearing up a little bit. <laughs> oh. Sorry for that. I didn't mean to. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Like this is totally unrelated. And this week you know, we got my son a phone for Christmas. So he's figured out that because he has my iCloud login, he can text me. So he's he sent me, you know, an SMS this week, you know, like a, a text and he goes he goes, Hey dad. Oh hey buddy, you know, and uh he goes, When are you coming home? <laughs> and like I'm I'm out working, you know, and like uh I, mean, I don't know why I've been emotional this week, but like I was just overcome with like my son wants to talk to me, just thrilled by the fact that I'm getting text messages from a six-year-old, you know, and like the spelling isn't that bad. I'm like, all right. And uh, I told him when I was coming home, and he goes, all right, I love you, Dad. The joy that filled my heart reading a text message, like my son is learning to communicate via text messages. The first few messages I get are, hey, when you coming home, and I love you. And the joy that filled my heart, like it gives you greater revelation of what of what God thinks about you. Like when you, when you pray, when you communicate with God, like letting him know you look like God knows that you love him, but like letting him know, I wonder if it like pops up on his little, I guess he wouldn't use an iPhone, <laughs> but like, you know, maybe he has some sort of thing. It just kind of pops up before him, you know? And he's like, oh, that's, that's my kid. Look, my kid is, 
sending me a message. How lovely is that, you know? It's not the first time I've gotten a text message, you know? Like, I get text right. messages from everybody every day. Right. But from my son, I don't know why it means something different, but it does. You said something in there. You said, God knows that you love him, but it's this process, obviously this process, this action, right? Yeah. And it's a really important insight. Like, if you're not doing the things that God has asked you to do, if you're not loving other people, if you're not sending him those messages, checking in with him, love is an action, right? Lo- love requires intentional behavior. There is love as a feeling, right? There's kind of that infatuation kind of thing. Yeah. It's great that you feel infatuated and overwhelmed by God's love for you. But if you're not actively responding and loving God, which he says we do by loving other people, right? So our, our loving action towards God or towards other people is love for God. Those things are bound up all over scripture together. It's the same way, it's the same knowing conversation. God may be aware that you have affinity for him, but it's not until you actually tangibly take loving action that he knows. That's so good. That's Because it was the realization that like, my kid cares enough to text me that he loves me. Yeah. You know, that when, he, when the children of God care enough to do the things that God has asked, when we care enough to do those things, God's like, oh my goodness. Like, it's like he just got that. I, I almost wonder, you know, like if like God's kind of an emotional being like us where he has, he like, you know, swells up with pride, you know, and gets tears in his eye like, Look, they're doing it. You know, they're 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 doing it. I don't think that's even a question. Yeah, yeah, it's not not a question, but like it's just like a. I mean, of course, we don't of think of God that way, right? Right? We don't think of God as like all the time as like the dad who's swelling up with because a lot of us don't you know see dads crying like look look my son look what he done like right. look how proud I am, you know. So we see God a lot through that lens of a of a father who's not a great father, but we realize who our father is and. And, and when we bask in his love for us, like he talked about, we start to have these kind of encounters. And then that, through that, through that experience of love of the Father, like it will flow out, like, and it should be flowing out of our lives. And it's not, it is a reason to question the very, you know, foundations of your faith. So. Well, on that note, we will draw this one to a close. And we just pray that you all, we all, take active steps to know God's love, to express God's love. Think about the ways that we are interacting with other people. Ask God to give us our His heart, His spirit, as we approach our conversations, debates, whatever it is, interactions with other people. And uh, just ask that all of us know God more, experience God's love, and, and in the process of extending that love to others. See you next week.